This podcast contains graphic and explicit content, as well as all of the spoilers a movie has to offer. Listener discretion is advised. Hi friends! Welcome back to So Here's the Problem With That, where we watch every sci-fi movie ever made and tell you what's wrong with their sci and their fi. My name is Emily, and I'm a movie fan. And my name is Neil, and I'm a PhD candidate in high-energy physics experiment. Hey, Neil. Hey, what's up? Can I ask you a question I should have asked you probably two, three weeks ago? Y sure. What is high-energy experiment? Uh, high-energy physics experiment? Yeah, high-energy physics experiment is where we do experiments on really small things that have a lot of energy and go really fast. Uh, it is distinct from high-energy theory, where people try to construct models of our universe using a whole bunch of math. In high-energy experiment, we usually take data and just make measurements about the things that the universe can do. We don't actually always care about the theory. Mm -hmm. um, it is nice when there is a theory to describe some of the things that we're looking at, but... Sometimes there isn't. But you're looking at concrete things that exist. Yes. Specifically, I study the Higgs boson. Ah. Mm-hmm. So, CERN, right? Yes. Yeah. The uh, Center for European Nuclear Research is what that stands for. The uh, Which we all learned about in Dan Brown's classic, The Da Vinci Code. Continue. Uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, also Angels and Demons. Oh, love Angels and Demons. So... Specifically, CERN has a really big atom smasher, they call it, or a, a particle collider that takes protons and smashes them into each other. And then there are, uh, that's called the Large Hadron Collider. Mm -hmm. And then on the Large Hadron Collider, there are several physics experiments. I work for one of those experiments called the Compact Muon Solenoid. Muon? Muon. Yes. M -U -O -N. Again. Great fucking band names. Yeah. They got they got some good names in there. <laughs> but again, as long as it's not in space. Space does not have good band names. Astrophysicists are sometimes not the best at naming things mm -hmm. in space. Yep. That's fine. That's fine. Um, see our episode on Galaxy Quest for more about, you know, the poor quality of band names that space science gives us. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for explaining that. You're um, I realized as I was editing our last episode, I'm like, what is experiment? I'm sure it doesn't mean what I think it means, but it sounds like it does mean what I thought it meant. It probably does. Although, if you looked at what I did, if you just, like, had no idea what my title was and yeah. looked at what I did on a day-to-day -day basis, you would probably assume that I'm some sort of data analyst or... Software engineer. Okay. Because most of what I do is code and make plots. Okay. Yeah. As a fellow uh, code person, I'm not a full code monkey. I'm a code learner. Uh -huh. What is your What is your platform? I I mostly code in Python. Excellent. And uh, I'm learning Python right now. <laughs> nice. It's my It's my favorite language. Uh, but I have also done all kinds of stuff in. C++ and Bash, and I've tried to learn a little bit of Golang. Mm. I can use Perl, but not very well. I I have 
you know, touched a number of other programming languages like Java and some of those, but mm -hmm. mostly right now it's just Python and C++. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, for those folks, those silly, silly folks who are listening right now who have not listened to our mini-sode yet, which we released last week, last Wednesday. Yep. If, side note, if you haven't listened yet, you should absolutely go listen because it's a great episode. It's only five minutes and you would thank yourself if you did. But, Neil, for those folks who have not listened to the mini-sode yet, can you please tell us what our movie this week will be? Yes, this week we will be watching The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> a great movie. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, a little synopsis for uh, the folks at home. Everyone has bad mornings. You wake up late, you stub your toe, you burn the toast. But for a man named Arthur Dent, this goes far beyond a bad day. When he learns that a friend of his is actually an alien with advanced knowledge of Earth's impending destruction, he is transported off the Earth seconds before it is blown up to make way for a new hyperspace motorway. And as if that's not enough, throw in being wanted by the police, Earth 2, an insane electronic encyclopedia, no tea whatsoever, a chronically depressed robot, and the search for the meaning of life, and you've got yourself the greatest adventure off Earth. I love it. Uh, we mentioned this in the mini-sode, but Neil, you have seen this movie. Uh, yes. I also have seen this movie, but it has been literally since it came out. So I have very little memory of this movie. I think I've seen this movie more recently than when it first came out. And I, I actually don't remember if I saw it in theaters. My dad mm -hmm. might have taken me to see it, but I was nine mm -hmm. when this movie came out in theaters. Mm -hmm. So I definitely couldn't go see it by myself. Nope, you, you can't drive effectively when you're no, nine. No, not uh, very well. Not very well. Uh, I, I was 15 when this came out, so I at least knew someone who could drive, even though go. I legally was not allowed to. There you go. Um, I'm not old. Everything's fine. <laughs> all right is this a cry for help oh <laughs> uh, not yet but it's getting there okay when we start you know watch or watching movies that i have a friend of mine hi tom i know you're listening um he when you meet him you would never know that he's practically 40 um i think don't kill me tom but i think you might be 40 now question mark but i we I talk about these movies all the time and i was like yeah i was like 16th the prime of my life and he goes i was definitely in college <laughs> so i just i get this on the other side now talking with you every once in a while it just it kind of pops up catches me off guard yep that's fine that's fair um so a couple quick movie notes the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy released april 29th 2005 it is a runtime of one hour and 49 minutes that's not too long no i'm actually i'm pretty okay with that because our last akira akira excuse me was two hours and nine minutes it felt like forever it felt like a lot longer but that's because we had to record multiple times that's true um but yeah we've had a couple long ones recently so this is gonna be nice in and out uh, tagline is, don't panic, which I have definitely written all on my trapper keeper at school, and, like, don't panic is a definite thing that I say to myself frequently. Um, genre tags, adventure, comedy, and sci-fi. So we're in the right place. Absolutely. I'm feeling good about this. Rated, not raged, rated <laughs> P PG for thematic elements, action, and mild language. Uh, this movie was directed by Garth Jennings, also... 
who also wrote and directed Sing and Sing 2, which just came out. Did you see the Sing movies? I saw Sing. I have not seen Sing 2, and I loved Sing. I it thought it was, was so really good. It was really good. They had a lot of great singers in there. Yes, and the cast was phenomenal, and the reason that I think Sing and prob probably Sing 2 were so good is because Garth Jennings has done a ton of music videos. Huh. He started back in the 80s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s music videos for Fatboy Slim, R.E.M., Radiohead, Vampire Weekend. Like, he has done the gamut. And Sing, for those of you who haven't seen it, is basically just, you know, about two-ish hours, hour and a half of animated animals singing popular music in music video style formats. And it's really cute. Highly recommend. Um, that's Garth Jennings. Love him. And this movie was written by Douglas Adams and Carrie Kirkpatrick. Um, Douglas Adams, he wrote the book that this book slash books that this film is based on. Um, and he also wrote the radio series that it was based on. We talked about this a little bit in the Minnesota, but, uh, the radio series came first. Douglas Adams wrote that. And then he kind of translated that into book format. And I think there's five. I read three of them, and you said you listened to at least one in audiobook, right? Yeah, uh, so my dad um, at one point rented all of the audiobooks for this, and then, like, listened to them all. And I happened to be in the car for, like, a good amount of, mm -hmm. of those, but I definitely didn't catch everything. Although I did go back and I listened to, like, the, the book that... Um, this particular movie is mostly based on because yes, this is mostly book. based on the first book which is my absolute favorite folks at home if you have not read this book highly recommend it's so funny it is so witty go back it's a fairly quick read i remember getting through it really fast but i was really enjoying it so. yeah also the kind of book that will make you laugh out loud yes. while you read it and you will look maybe a bit crazy but it's it's fun. worth it it's yeah. great it's a good book yeah. Um, so Douglas Adams passed away in 2001, just a couple years before this film came out. R.I.P. I know. And he's listed as a writer for the TV series that was based on this book series and the characters within it. So Dirk Gently, right? I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he got his own TV show. There was an original uh, British run in 2010. And there's an American reboot in 2018. These are obviously based on the characters because, again, he passed away in 2001. Um, but he's still listed as as a, a writer. He also wrote several Doctor Who episodes, um, both back in the 80s with Doctor Who Classic. He wrote a five-episode arc called City of Death. And then before the reboot that, that kicked off with Christopher Eccleston, I think that was also in 2005, he wrote a a animated miniseries, which I did not know existed, it called Doctor Who Shada. So I'm going to go back and watch that because that sounds really interesting. Huh. Um, so that's kind of fun. That was from 2003. Um, yeah, so Carrie Kirkpatrick, on the other hand, he apparently wrote like every every movie from my childhood that meant so much to me. Oh my um, gosh. Over the Hedge. If you have not seen Over the Hedge, cannot recommend it highly enough. Coffee, 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 coffee. Um, it, this, the cast in Over the Hedge is phenomenal. Gary Shandling is a curmudgeonly turtle. Uh, Bruce Willis is a slick and smart-talking raccoon. Um, 
Steve Carell is in it. Thomas Hayden Church is in it. Allison Janney is in it. Like, the cast in that movie is so good. I loved that movie so much. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, James and the Giant Peach, uh, produced by, um, oh my god, Tim Burton. Yep. Jesus Christ. Uh, produced by Tim Burton. Phenomenal movie. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Carrie, per- Carrie Kirkpatrick wrote that. Um, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. I don't know if anyone else watched um, the this... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, is this the sequel? This is the part three sequel. Oh, no. There's Honey, I Shrunk... No, this is part two. I apologize. There's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. There's Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Uh-huh. And then there is Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Uh, um... Those last two might have been flipped, but... Okay. Yeah. I watched Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves on Disney Channel literally any time it was on. I would stop and I would finish that movie. Oh, I watched God. this movie so much. And I don't know why. I don't think it's good. No. But I, I watched the shit out of it. I watched the first one. And all I remember from the first one is that bananas have potassium. That's the third one. That's the third That's one? That's Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. No, it's not. Yes, it is. The kid who passes out because he doesn't have, uh, he's got a potassium deficiency. That's Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Oh, So I you have can't... absolutely seen this movie. I can't believe that. Yep, 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 yep. It's really good. We should watch it again because there's physics. Neil, um, can no. I add it to the list, please? I, maybe, but it's got to be pretty far down the list. All right. We got to watch some some better stuff than that before we get to the dregs of sci-fi of Honey, We Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's going on the list. Okay, but the most important movie that Carrie Kirkpatrick wrote is... Truly one of my favorites from my childhood is Chicken Run. I'm about to get heated, folks. Do I, you not like Chicken Run? No. no hold on. One, okay. Chicken Run, kind of a kind of a traumatic movie. Well, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. There, <laughs> there is absolutely a ton of horrifying things that happen to those chickens in that movie. Yes. Two, a friend of mine recently was like, chickens can't fly. Yes. And no, chickens can fly. They can hover. They no, they can fly. They generate lift. <laughs> they move forward. They can go for several hundred feet and fly really? for up to 13 seconds. Yes. Oh, wow. They can genuinely fly. They don't do it very often because we bred them out of flying. Well, they're so fat now. They are very fat now. Chicken run makes it seem like chickens cannot fly at all. Which is wrong. They can. Go look up some videos of it. And uh, for my friend out there, if you're listening to this, don't you ever try and say chickens double jump again. I'll get so <laughs> upset. <laughs> you know who you are. Oh my god, that's amazing. Um, well, I love that movie. And you were right. It is It is traumatic. I'm going back through the, the chicken pie machine. Oh, that was yeah. Hot. Yeah. There's a chicken who watches, like, other chickens get turned into chicken pot pies. Yes. I don't want to be a pie. <laughs> um, I'm just going to sit here and quote this movie back uh, back at you for probably the next ten minutes. All right, here we go. No, I'm not going to do that, <laughs> but I could. Um, but you guys, guess what? I, I saw on IMDb currently filming right now Chicken Run 2. Oh, yeah. That's we're, wild. We're going to the theater. We're gonna... Uh, by we, I mean me, and I'm probably gonna drag Neil, but we're not gonna do an episode about it, because it's not super physics. It's... Look, 
I will definitely go, and I will probably enjoy this movie greatly, but we are not recording an episode <laughs> about this. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, so, uh, in, back to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the movie that we're actually here to talk about, um, this movie stars basically every famous British person ever. Um, to, starting at the top, Martin Freeman from The British Office, Sherlock, the one with, um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And the Hobbit movies, obviously. Uh, Martin Freeman, phenomenal actor. Uh, Sam Rockwell of Galaxy Quest fame. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you say that this movie has Benedict Cumberbatch in no, it? No, I'm saying Sherlock has Benedict Cumberbatch in it. And what does that have to do with this movie? Martin Freeman is in Sherlock. Oh, also starring oh, 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 Because oh, there's, oh, 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 there's oh, oh, oh. one or two versions of Sherlock out there. So I wanted to to specify yes, which I under- one. I understand now. Yeah. Um... We were close. Um, so, back, Sam Rockwell, guy from Galaxy Quest. Yep. He's going to come up a few times because he's also in a film called Moon that I, a thousand percent, am going to make Neil watch. Um, it's like a psychological thriller that takes place on the moon. So, lots of science. Okay. Lots of, it's going to mess with your head. So. Well, I do like psych thrillers. Mm-hmm. I just don't like horror movies. And I have not seen this film, but I watched the trailer and I can't promise that it's not a horror movie. Well, <laughs> you, you know, neglected to tell me that Event Horizon was a horror movie yeah. and I made it through that one. I'm really so proud of you. That thanks. was a lot of a horror movie too. It was a lot. <laughs> you did so well. Thank you. Um, but also in this movie, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Zoe Deschanel, that was hard, Zoe Deschanel of New Girl fame. And then I we was going through fucking the IMDb page and it said Yaslin Bay. I'm like, who's Yaslin Bay? It's Most Deaf. You guys, Most Deaf is in this movie. How did I not know that? You know who Most Deaf is, right? Um. Oh no. Maybe. Okay. Uh, Most Deaf is a phenomenal uh, hip hop uh, artist. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Also. I, almost equally as important is he was in The Italian Job with um, Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron, and it's one of my favorite movies, and it's fantastic. Uh, he had a bad experience with dogs. On a physics note, Yassine Bey had a short-lived rap group called <laughs> Urban Thermodynamics. That's fantastic. Look at that. Finding connections. Cool stuff. Um, who else? And I'm not going to go into everyone's... Uh, filmography because again everyone in this movie is so incredibly talented they've been in basically every movie ever um bill bailey anna chancellor warwick davis i will say uh shout out to wicket from the uh star wars franchise willow one of my favorite movies and the harry potter series um stephen fry richard griffiths helen mirren john malkovich bill nye alan rickman like the cast in this movie is phenomenal Wow. I, I know, right? Hey guys, guess what time it is? Numbers game! Numbers game! It's numbers game! Alright, everybody. Numbers game. We know... Uh, Neil, I'm gonna tell you right now. The budget for this movie yeah. was $50 million. Okay. I remember watching this movie and thinking that it was a really high-quality production. So, mm-hmm. I, I have really high hopes for how well this movie did uh worldwide Mm -hmm. and u.s and canada so i let's go with and real quick i'm gonna call out imdb.com because the information on your website directly contradicts itself 
when you look at one page, it says the total for uh, opening weekend U.S. and Canada. And on the next page, it says opening weekend for uh, worldwide. They are the exact same number. What are you trying to do to me? What if it, what if it only opened in the U.S. and Canada? I don't think that's true. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had a worldwide gross amount. You know, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie did did open to the whole wide world, but what do you think? So I'm going to say that this opening weekend number is the worldwide opening weekend number because they did have a breakdown by country. Okay. So let's go with worldwide opening weekend. What do you think this movie made? It was not, I will... We'll tell you it was not the full 50, but it's only the first weekend. Oh, but it's only I the see first it weekend. here. If you hadn't told me that, I would have guessed more. I would have oh. guessed more than the budget. No. Uh, okay, if they didn't make the full budget back on opening weekend, again, this is 2005, so it's not quite like the the modern era of of like movies are only judged by their opening weekend performance kind of thing. So, I'm going to say, uh, 42 million. Would you like to guess a lower number? Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, this is about, only like three or four days. So. Yeah. How about 31 million? Ooh, you are close, but it is still lower. Still lower? 29 million? Would you like me to tell you? Or yeah, you want to guess? No. $21 million. Oh, that's a lot less than I was hoping. For, right, but again, it's only three, three, four days-ish on opening weekend. Yeah. So for total gross, would you like to guess what it made in the U.S. and Canada? Uh, U.S. and Canada. For the whole runtime, it was in theaters. Okay. I feel like this movie probably did better overseas than it did in the U.S. and Canada, but I would, I would bet that for the whole runtime... U.S. and Canada, probably sixty-five million. Would you like to guess a lower number? Oh no! <laughs> oh, is it like forty-five million? No, no, it's it's higher than forty-five. Okay, is it fifty-two million? It is practically fifty-two million. It is fifty-one million eighty-five thousand. So, okay, solid. They literally made back all their money yep. just in the U.S. and Canada, but uh -huh. worldwide. What do you think worldwide is? Okay, if they did, if they did fifty-one million in the U.S., uh, I'm going to guess seventy-two million worldwide. Would you like to guess a higher number? Ooh, that's yeah. what I like to hear. Heck yeah. Uh, 91 million. Would you like to guess a higher number? Ooh, <laughs> yes. Uh, 115 million. Super close. 104 million. Nice. So, super respectable. Made back their money and then some. Enough so I'm kind of surprised they didn't get a sequel. Right? Um. But again, the first book, it, in my personal opinion, is the best. Yeah, I think just in terms, like, I know that sequels are kind of like the cash cow of the film industry, mm -hmm. but they have to have, like, a storyline that people will still get interested in. And I feel like the rest of the stories, like, that go in the next books aren't nearly as uh, kind of captivating as the first ones mm -hmm. and it's gonna be like a it's gonna be a, an audience that's you know there's gonna be a core dedicated audience for the people who really like these books but 
I just don't think it would actually do that well. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, yeah, and I think the reviews kind of go along with that. On IMDb, this movie scored 6.7 out of 10, so solid. It's not bad. That's less than I would have expected. It's, I thought this movie was really funny. It, well, you were nine. Um. <laughs> Look, I've seen it since then. I still no, thought it was it is, funny. It's a super cute movie, but it is generally across the board 60, 6 out of 10, 63 on Metacritic. Generally favorable, not stellar. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 60% on Critic, and audience score is only 65. So it's pretty... It's, Pretty much like that across the board. Maybe um, it just doesn't stand up. Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out, right? Yeah. Uh, the general critic consensus has been uh, a frantic and occasional funny adaptation of Douglas Adams's novel. However, it may have those unfamiliar with the source material scratching their heads. Which, I guess, because it is, even in the book, it's like, wait, what just happened? Wait, where are we now? Yeah, they do... They do use some technology that is quite easy to make it a confusing plotline. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm I'm still excited to see it. I'm excited to um, kind of revisit this part. So I did not see in my research if they have a science consultant. I would be surprised because just like Galaxy Quest, it's more for the for the laughs. It's more funny than it is being earnest about the science. Yeah. Also, like. A lot of sci-fi that gets written as a book and then gets adapted into a movie won't have any consultant mm -hmm. because it's just, you know, whatever the author thought was cool. And maybe the author, you know, has some some background and, like, understands some concepts of science, which, I mean, Douglas Adams clearly did or uh, when he wrote these books because mm -hmm. he, he does use some pretty interesting concepts in physics to uh like kind of make these things happen but definitely would not expect there to be any sort of actual science consultant for you know i for the movies right right so i think that's all i've got do you have any fun facts about this movie i did not look up any fun facts about that's this fine movie. i read a lot of trivia and things and none of them are like stellar okay it's things like oh in this scene his tea doesn't have milk in it but then there's a close-up and there's milk in it and then you cut back and there's no milk in it so that's fine all right eh. I, okay that's eh, fine we are gonna go watch this movie you guys hold tight we'll be right back watching The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it filled me with such joy. Excellent movie. It was so cute. I love, I love this movie. It was really good. I, it really was like watching a brand new movie for me. I remembered so little from the first time I saw this, so I'm really glad that we, that we did this. There were definitely, it was a, it was a fun mix for me to see, like, which scenes I remembered and which scenes I had no recollection of and which scenes when I saw them, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that was in here. It's all coming back now. Yeah. So I guess let's just jump into it. Movie starts and we get the dulcet tones of Stephen Fry, who is truly one of my favorite human beings on this planet. <laughs> uh, and he starts to narrate about, you know, 
humans are actually the third most intelligent species on Earth. Number two being the dolphins. And then opening credits is the song that the dolphins sing as they leave Earth. They, they jump and they flip and they fly off into space and they're leaving Earth. And they tried to warn us that Earth was going to be demolished. And we, not that we didn't listen, we just didn't understand them. True. Also, great time to just start off on, on that note. The physics of humans being the third most intelligent species on Earth. Hit me. Uh, who knows? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we know that there are some very intelligent uh, other creatures on this planet. Yeah. They just aren't able to speak in a way that we can understand. So we might not be the most intelligent creatures on Earth. Yeah. It also, like, how how does one define intelligence? Mm -hmm. Not if, well. What's the thing that Einstein used to say about if the judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will yeah. think itself an idiot? Or or ride a bicycle, yeah, yep. definitely. That's um that's a pretty common one in physics, is a lot of people who are like, wow, I, I really don't know how to do math at all. And it's like, well, that's fine. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. No, zero judgment. Um, I did have a very important physics question that oh. I wanted to put to you. Okay. Um, can you explain to me the physics of dolphins jumping into space? Jumping into space. Flying away off the planet, flying into space. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't do that actually. Damn it. Um, <laughs> it, it takes a remarkable amount of energy to be able to like leave Earth's atmosphere. You need to get going remarkably fast. Uh, if I remember, escape velocity for Earth is something like, oh, 11,000 meters per second or something like that? Yeah, 11.2 kilometers per second. So that's 11,000 meters per second. That's I was right. That's a lot. Yeah. You have to be going right quick. Yeah, um, dolphin's probably not going to do that. I, I don't know how it would be possible for a dolphin to get going, like, more than 11,000 meters per second as it leaves, like, before it leaves the water. Mm -hmm. Right? And then, because it has to, it's going to slow down. Because right. it water can't push is, against the air very well with its tail. And water is very, um... It's quite a bit more dense, dense in the atmosphere. So, so there's a lot slower. of resistance. But they are, you know, very naturally... Aerodynamic? Well, hydrodynamic. Hydrodynamic. Yeah. Word. It's a fun word. <laughs> so I don't really know how they could possibly generate that much force uh, with just a tail. Mm -hmm. They would probably... So if you pushed that hard... Oh, this is actually going to be fun. Oh my god, I'm um, so excited. So if you push that hard against the water, you will push so hard that you will create a vacuum bubble. You'll be pushing on the water faster than the other water around it can, like, fill the space in again. And this is what causes, like, cavitation and stuff like that. Like, if you're ever, like, you're driving a boat and stuff like that, you, like, turn the boat too hard or something, you're going too fast, and the propeller starts to cavitate, and then it's, like, taking in air instead of water, and that's no good. I didn't know that had a word. Yeah, it has It has a word. It's called, uh, it's called cavitation. But the, uh, the, the really interesting thing is that cavitation in water causes really strange things to happen. Okay. Um, so if you've ever heard of the mantis shrimp. Oh yeah. Yeah. Radiolab did a great episode about them. Yeah. So you know how mantis shrimp can punch so fast that like it creates light. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's called sonoluminescence, and the way that that happens is that the the crab the well I mean they're more like a lobster than a crab but and they're um, they're not big right they're just no they can be pretty big oh can they okay yeah they I can be they were small. no 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 they can be like you know the size of a lobster effectively excellent but the mantis shrimp will will like punch so fast that it uh creates like a vacuum bubble and when the vacuum bubble collapses from all the water like collapsing back in on itself it like has so much energy that it kind of causes there to be, like, light in the mm-hmm. water, which mm-hmm. is super cool. And it's a really loud, I mean, especially for yeah. their size, really loud snap. Like, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. not quite, um, like, a sonic blast, but it's close? It, yeah, it is. It, that, it is a type of sonic blast, okay. but it's just not that kind it's of sonic It's not an blast. F-16 fighter jet. No. That is specifically caused by things moving through, um through their local media faster than the speed of sound, which isn't, as far as I'm aware, what mantis shrimp are doing. It is the process by which the water fills back in the vacuum bubble that they create in the way that, like, thunder... Like, this is what happens for thunder, right? You get, like, you get a bolt of lightning that comes from the clouds to the ground, and it displaces or ionizes a bunch of air... And then all of the surrounding air has to, like, rush back in to fill that space, and it causes thunder. That's what thunder is? Yeah. Shut the fuck up! Yeah. My brain is exploding. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so cool! Okay, so thunder is just the filling of a vacuum? Pretty much. Yeah, because it's, like, it's a lot of air, right? Like, it's, it's, it's this giant column of air, like, you know, maybe... The, roughly the size of your fist or bigger that stretches from the ground, you know, several hundred feet or more up to uh, up to the cloud, and um, when all of that air like like squishes yeah. back in on itself after after being like displaced and turned into a plasma, it it causes the the sound of thunder because so... it's just all of these like air molecules hitting each other. That is fascinating. So, going back to our Akira episode. Yeah. We talked about the apparition that Tetsuo did out of the playroom and it had the the vacuum. Yeah, like vacuums and then like it, it, it like makes a makes big a noise. Big noise. Yeah. And then the space laser. That did you say no, that was the, the space laser should have should created should have created something like that. Like the the biggest Thunder ever is what it should have made. Potentially would have shaken the city to its foundation just by sound. Yeah, it probably would have destroyed anything that was glass for a long way around. That is amazing. And also probably killed anybody standing next to it because right. you would be oh, like Canada immediately. Would be oh yeah, Canada would be toast. To yeah, Canada would be real toast. Oh my god, I'm so tickled. So, also, just like picking up this throughout all the other movies, being yeah. able to tie it all together, this yeah, yeah, is yeah. exciting. It's cool stuff. Science is amazing. So, so this same thing would have to happen. Like, the same thing happens in the water when you do something where you, like, um, when you, like, displace the water too much and you get, like, a vacuum, you create this cavitation, then it all collapses back in on itself. One, it makes a really loud noise, Mm -hmm. and that loud noise travels through the water quite a bit faster than it travels through the air. Sure. Uh, and two, the, all of the stuff collapsing back in on itself actually, like, they, they will hit each other hard enough that they, they, like, break and they create... Like, just, like, energy, Hmm. which is why you get these little, like, blips of light when you get, um, 
like it's called sonoluminescence, but it's it's when you when you see like a, a mantis shrimp like punch something, sometimes there's a little like flash of light that they show, and that's from the vacuum bubble like collapsing back in on itself and like smashing bits of water apart. So then if every dolphin on earth Oh, this would be very bad. I know where this is going. <laughs> if every dolphin on earth even just did one good push with their tail at eleven thousand kilometers per second. Yeah. Um, would that vibrate the earth to death? I don't know if it would vibrate the earth to death, but it would certainly cause some problems. Uh, that would, one, displace a lot of water very suddenly. Right. Uh, and two, it would cause a, a whole lot of, uh, cavitation, which would probably disrupt a lot of, like, sea life. Because you're gonna send, like, this huge shock wave through the water when yeah. this happens. And... That might actually, like, be strong enough to cause some problems, like, wherever it hits. So, like, if they did this someplace where it was pretty shallow, you could definitely cause, like, some huge problems with this. Like, it, like it would kill, kill fish. Oh, yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah, it would be, it would be a heck of a thing. It would be, be a heck of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to Galaxy Quest. That... Tickles me so much. And folks, we are literally two sentences in on my notes, so this, this is going to be a great episode. And this also wasn't in my physics notes, so it's going to be a long one. This is going to be fun. Okay, so we're going to set aside the fact that dolphins cannot uh, propel themselves forward at 11,000 kilometers per second. And that and. there are now uh, many intelligent spacefaring creatures yes by logic of if there's more than one on earth there must be many elsewhere excellent yes good point um also not for nothing the dolphins that we see leave earth not only do they not move forward at eleven thousand kilometers per second they're just kind of floating up into earth or uh, up into space and they don't have any helmets on no i don't so. maybe they're going into a ship but they never show the ship um it was sort of implied that they were, like, extra-dimensional creatures, so maybe they oh, were just going into a different dimension or something. Oh, that's an interesting thought. So maybe Which, they wouldn't need helmets, necessarily. Mm, yeah. We can also, when we get to a, a part of the movie that actually talks about other dimensions, we'll talk a little bit about common physics interpretations of extra dimensions. Excellent. But it's nothing like what they show. So. Yeah. Damn it. I was yeah. really hoping that they were going to be spot-on with that one. Mm. Mm. All right, so... As we mentioned, the dolphins jump up and fly away into space, and they are presumed to be fine, and the Earth is not shaken to its core. We cut to Martin Freeman, playing Arthur Dent. He wakes up, and he's having a rough day. He hits his head on the stairs, he burns his toast, and we hear a, a kind of vibrations and, and commotion outside of his house, and he sees that there's construction workers there, and they are going to bulldoze his house. Not horse, his house. <laughs> um... And he lays down in front of the bulldozer, and truly one of the best lines I absolutely forgot happened, the foreman, I think he is, uh, he comes over and says, Do you know how much uh, uh, destruction this bulldozer would, would have if it just ran you over? And Arthur Dent's like, No. <laughs> the foreman says, None whatsoever, which is delightful. Fantastic. Um, and then up comes most deaf. Ah, he's so great in this movie. He did a really wonderful job. He does a fantastic job. In and, this movie. Uh, yeah, so he comes up, he's got a shopping cart full of beer and peanuts. 
and he hands it out to all the construction workers and brings Arthur to the local pub and orders six pints for the two of them. And he says that we have 12 minutes before Earth is destroyed. Um, Arthur doesn't seem to care or really believe him. He starts talking about um, this girl that he met at an undetermined time in the past. Yeah, not sure how long ago it was. But he met her at a costume party. And she's super duper cute and super funny and they really hit it off. And it's Zoe Deschanel uh, who plays Trisha. And she kind of like has a test. I don't know. I don't, I don't, not a huge fan of people who test people off the bat, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, she says, let's go to Madagascar. Quit your job. I'll quit mine. We'll go to Madagascar. It's going to be super fun. And he's like, I can't do that. And she views this as like almost a personal affront, which is red flag. If people do that, that's manipulative. Don't be with them. But in this case, it's fine. Whatever. Um, up comes fucking Sam Rockwell. He doesn't have a name yet, but we're going to call him Guy. So up comes Guy. He walks up and it says, hey, little lady, you want to see my spaceship? And she's like, oh, yes. She doesn't actually say that, but she that thinks is, it really loudly. That is very clearly what she is thinking. Exactly. So she leaves with Sam Rockwell and Arthur's like, aww. And that's literally all he wants to talk about to um, Ford. Ford Prefect is most Def's character name. Yep. And uh, Ford's like, well, the Earth is about to get destroyed. And he goes, oh no, my house is about to get destroyed. And we go back to the house. And yes, in fact, it has been destroyed. But it kind of doesn't matter because directly above the house comes this huge spaceship. Now, we've seen, in other movies we've watched, specifically District 9, we've seen very large spaceships. Yep. In District 9, it basically covered a part of Johannesburg, South Africa. Yep. This is bigger. Yes. And then as we pull out, I thought my TV was skipping, but it's just the way that they had the editing. That's correct. Um, they pull out, and we see these absolutely massive um, cube columns, but they're rectangular. Yeah, they're like rectangular prism ships. Yeah. Uh, Dotted all, all around. Yep, all lined up, like, on their end. So they're, like, the, like, short square end is facing the planet, and the long end is extended away from the planet. Right. And they all line up. We see, um, we're introduced to the Volgons. Yeah, yeah. Volgons or, I don't, is there an L? I don't think there's an L. It doesn't matter. Volgons? Yeah. Anyway. We can look it up. So the Volgons, uh, they announce over speaker... Uh, everyone, your planet's going to be destroyed, and it's your own fault for not planning around this because it's been in hanging up. It's the exact same uh, phrase, basically, that Arthur just got from the construction worker who yeah. wanted to bull bulldoze his house. That this uh, information's been hanging up in um, the, I don't know, bureaucratic hall for the last 50 years. Yep. So this is your fault, and I don't feel badly for you. Yep. Um... And they destroy the Earth. So, Neil, here's another physics question for you. All right. Um, they, we don't exactly see how or why. Um, or that the all these ships kind of destroy the Earth. But yep. it is a very clean implosion, almost. It doesn't yeah. go way far out. It, no. It's within the, the sphere that these little guys kind of create. What would it take for a planet to just kind of... Whoop, into nothingness. Um, it would take not our current laws of physics. Excellent. Um, so I have I have two things. 
One, I want to start with the fact that the ships have entered the atmosphere. Okay. Uh, when all of these ships enter the atmosphere, it would cause actually a lot of problems because by pushing all of the surrounding air out and around the ships, they are going to effectively increase the average amount of pressure on the surface of the planet because so much of the air is like being displaced in weird ways. And now it's like a taller column of air, hmm. uh, effectively. So you get more, you get more pressure. Okay. Uh, so this would this would like dramatically fuck up everything on the surface of the Earth. It would be it would be a really unpleasant experience if this happened. Like everyone's ears might like explode. Yeah, they might explode. They might just pop. Uh -huh. um, but it would be. It would be really quite catastrophic if, you know, a whole fleet of ships showed up like this and all entered Earth's atmosphere at the same time. It'd be a huge mess. Um, then, all of the ships, I no idea what they do. Right, but it's, it's not shown. Yeah, but the planet just kind of, like, vanishes into, like, some sparks in special effects. I won't lie, it does kind of look cool. It does. It's a very satisfying Earth destruction. It does look really cool. The interesting thing to me is that if you wanted to do this, it would actually take more energy to cause the Earth to disappear in this way. Because effectively what you would have to do is like rip apart every, every atom like on the Earth. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, you would actually release a lot of energy and it would cause a big explosion but you might not be able to see the explosion per se, although you it, it would like burn for a little bit. Um, but you would probably get like this huge, uh, outwardly expanding mass of like gas and plasma from all of the stuff in the Earth being torn apart and then shot everywhere. Because uh, that's if you wanted to do that, that's what would happen. So a little closer to the explosion of Alderaan than what we saw here. Yes. Actually, the explosion of Alderaan was probably more efficient mm -hmm. in terms of achieving a goal or, like, energy use than this would have been. Because you need to have just an absurd amount of energy to rip apart every, every atom on Earth and then have nothing left. That would be really astounding, actually. Interesting. Um, the other thing that I wanted... To, yeah, and so... The, the, the most efficient, in my opinion, way to have done this would have been to just, like, um, do something to, like, superheat Earth's core and, like, vaporize the, the like, nickel uh, core of the Earth. Because if you vaporize the nickel core of the Earth, um, it is going to have a lot more pressure and it would probably just push itself out and then just shatter the Earth. Um, in which case you have a bunch of like manageable chunks Then you can just come in with like big oh, spaceships and just, bulldozers. Yeah, just push them out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and, and I think we mentioned this, but just in case I didn't, uh, they're destroying earth to make way for a hyperspace expressway. Yes. A hyperspace, uh, like galactic expressway or some nonsense like that. Right. Uh, also the word hyperspace. Yeah. Is a funny word. It is not. It is often used when talking about traveling at speeds faster than the speed of light by which you enter another dimension uh, or you, you 
you go into a hyperspace, meaning just more space. So like you're you, taking up more space than you otherwise would. Is that what that? No, means? it's it's like, um, it's 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 mostly a math term mm. for the geometry of like space time, and when you add another dimension to something, oftentimes we consider that to be a hyperspace. Because you have a space that is n-dimensional, and then if you add n plus, you, you add one dimension to that, that becomes a hyperspace. Uh, so the idea behind a lot of hyperspace stuff is that you are like shifting out of our 3 plus 1 dimension universe into what is likely a 4 plus 1 dimension universe, and then rotating yourself back in somewhere else, so I'm not really sure actually why they need to clear lanes for this. If they're using the term properly, most mm. likely they aren't using it properly. Right. And they're just saying like, oh, hyperspace is when you go really fast or fast in the speed of light. Eh, no. Yeah. It's fine, I guess. Yeah. I'm not happy with it, but. <laughs> yeah. I'll accept it for now. Yeah, it's, yeah. Right. Tolerable. Tolerable. I love it. We didn't mention, but right before Earth is destroyed, Ford Prefect, like, hugs Arthur Dent, puts a ring on his thumb, and he raises his thumb, and there's a little light on it, and he says, I'm hitching a ride, and then Earth is destroyed. Because, we'll come back to it in just a sec, they are, as we mentioned in the title, Hitchhikers! Yes! And the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a literal, physical book that apparently everyone in the galaxy, in the universe has um because i thought wasn't it ford who's writing the hitchhiker's guide he's one of the authors okay yeah they've got multiple field field reporters makes sense and he was he was writing uh a a piece about earth and the we get a really cool shot of we're zooming in on what looks like maybe it's a spaceship maybe it's a i don't know but then turns out to be the book the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and I wanted to take a quick moment to mention that the music in this section was really cool. It was yeah. a mix of bluegrass and, like, James Bond. I don't know. I was really digging it. Um, so then they're going to explain what this guide is. It's the universe's most important book. It contains all the knowledge. It's better than the uh, Britannica Encyclopedia, which was a very funny line. Yeah. Um, and the most important part is that it says, don't panic on the cover. So, it's just a brief explanation of the guide, and any time throughout the rest of the movie when something happens that we don't really understand, they cut to an animated piece um, from the book. The book, uh, Stephen Fry, the narrator, explains what is happening, and there's a little animation to kind of visually explain it, and yeah. there's some very funny little bits, and we'll definitely talk about it. We will. Um, so now we're on the spaceship. Uh, Ford tells Arthur that Earth was just destroyed and they are currently stowaways in a bathroom on the Vogon ship. And we learn a little bit about the Vogons. Again, through this little animated bit. And Stephen Fry tells us that the Vogons are crabby bureaucrats and they're very unpleasant. Yep. And whatever you do, don't let them read you poetry. Yep. And um, then we get the first, the only introduction actually of a babblefish. Um, Ford tries to shove a babblefish in Arthur's ear. We get another little video about what a babblefish is, which is basically a universal translator. Yep. And the video that they use to show this is of a farmer milking a cow. 
And then um, he's got a babble fish in his ear, and there's a little heart that comes above the cow's head, which seems to imply that the cow is maybe sexually aroused by the act of being milked, which is very funny. It is quite funny, actually. Yeah. Also, babble fish are, in my opinion, the most creative way that people have tried to tackle the Universal Translator bit. Um, Star Wars has a little... Uh, a little short segment on their universal translator nonsense do they i don't remember i don't think they ever put it in any of the movies but it is like it doesn't exist it is in the lore that doesn't exist what do you mean (laughs) it's they they are only movies and now there's stuff on disney plus there's nothing before nothing during and nothing after (laughs) please don't message me clearly i'm joking heresy 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 um, uh, but so yeah. interestingly, Babblefish they try to explain feed on the the unconscious frequencies of your brain. This is not this is not a real thing. Your brain does create like electrical impulses, and I mean thereby does create small electric fields. But it's not big enough that a creature could sustain itself off of consuming that energy. Humans are extremely efficient when it comes to, uh, like, your, your, your mental processes. Like, I think someone calculated once, back of the envelope, that, like, a single Cheerio can sustain something like 700 thoughts. What? Yeah. I don't know what that means. Like, so if you eat a Cheerio, okay. the caloric intake from one Cheerio is enough, like, energy to power your brain to... To think 700 thoughts. Yeah. Humans are remarkably efficient when it comes to, specifically like... Specifically thoughts. Specifically the brain because is Because the body appears efficient. to need more food. Yes, the body is actually not remarkably efficient because it is... It is actually a warm-blooded mm-hmm. thing, which isn't actually the most efficient way to do things. We should be cold-blooded. We should be cold-blooded. I want to bask on a rock in the sun. That does sound like my favorite activity. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. I feel like I had another question, but I don't remember what it is. I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, so, the babblefish... Oh, I was going to mention, uh, there's a babblefish in Farscape. Great TV show. If you haven't watched it, delightful sci-fi TV show. Kind of like if Jim Henson did, like, a Xena Warrior Princess or Hercules-type TV show in space. Wow. Highly delightful. Cannot recommend highly enough. And they have a babblefish thing that you really only see once, and then it's never mentioned again. Nice. Great. So, moving on. Um, they are captured by the Vogons. Um, they uh, uh, are brought in. They're kind of strapped to these... All the design around the Vogons are really cool. Like, everything with Vogons is giant stone square pillars and buildings, and it's very orderly, and... Think think brutalism in yes. terms of, like, architecture. Uh, that is very much so the style that they go for. These, like, large, imposing... I mean, it's it's all, like, dark gray, but you're led to believe that it is something similar to, you know, either metal or concrete exterior. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, can either the type of metal that it appears to they, that they use or concrete, can that travel space? Um, questionably. Mm. 
most, I mean... I think that concrete's not strong enough, right? Concrete's probably too brittle, actually. Yeah. Uh, it, it would probably tear itself apart when it was, like, leaving the atmosphere. And heaven forbid anything in space hit your concrete, it would just... Shatter. Shatter. It would be very cold. It would be a very poor insulator. Contrary to popular belief, concrete, not that strong. No. Um, that is why we reinforce it with lots of rebar and all that good stuff, is because it's not particularly strong. Um, and so, metal? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it kind of looks like it's just regular old, I don't know, steel or, or iron or something like that. Seems fine. Interesting. It, it, it could probably survive. It's not a great choice. No. Uh, but yeah, so Ford and Arthur are strapped to these kind of square blocks with, like, rubber tubing, mm -hmm. which was kind of funny. And I want to shout out real quick the costumes of these Vogons and the... Or, or puppetry? Like, it's a little bit of both, I think. They're so cool. Like, this opening scene with them, there's got to be almost a dozen of these... Uh, uh, Aliens, and they are full body prosthetics. Well, not prosthetics, it's a full costume. Yeah. Like, they kind of waddle around because they're big. They look kind of like a lima bean. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so cool, and it's real. It's not CG. There's definitely CG in the movie, don't get me wrong. But, like, this part was real, and it was very tactile, and you could tell, and it was so great. It made me think of um, Doctor Who, where uh, they've got real people in costumes. Mm -hmm. Probably because of budgetary stuff, because CG stuff, I mean, it's getting cheaper and cheaper. Um, but especially in 2005, was still kind of expensive. Yep. And they made real costumes, and it was so refreshing to see, and I just really enjoyed it. Also, in general, I really like the, like, concepts behind many of the aliens mm. that we encounter. Yeah. It's just, it's very non, like, humanoid-centric, which I appreciate. For sure. Zeno... Not xenomorph. It's mm -mm. the xenology. Biology. Biology. Damn it. Xenobiology. Yep. Fuck. I'll get there. Okay. Um. So puppets are great. Costumes are great. Very excited. So the head Vogon starts reading poetry to them. Ford is freaking out. He's having a very visceral reaction. And and Stephen Fry in voiceover is telling us about the other times that that poetry has killed people. Yep. And Vogons have the third worst poetry in the universe, second worst being another alien race, third worst being some lady in Sussex. No, that was first worst. That was first worst. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought, so, I thought this was pretty funny that they, that they were like, this whole race of people, yeah, third worst poetry, uh, second worst poetry is from, I thought it was an individual. I think was you're Was it another race right. of people? No, I think you're right. It was an individual. Yeah. That, like, killed someone and someone else ate their own leg to survive. Yeah, it was really quite funny. I think it's, yeah. I think it's great. And then first worst being another individual who happened to be from, I don't know, from Sussex Earth. or something yeah. like that. And they're like, and thankfully, she's gone because Earth is destroyed. Right. <laughs> oh, that was a good, it was a good line. Um, so the he finishes reading his poetry and he says, you can either die in the vacuum of space or tell me what you thought of my poem. And Arthur starts pulling shit out of his ass. He's like, oh, I really liked it. The, the cadence was really great in your description of, Whatever it was, and the Vogon sound, he's like, so you're saying that I just want to be loved or something stupid like that. And 
then it they pause for a beat and he goes throw them out of the ship <laughs> uh which was great so now we're back in the airlock neil you know how movies oh, love an airlock yeah now uh, you know this is i'm gonna have to say this is the worst airlock we've seen so far you shock me we didn't even mention that there is gravity on this on this ship yeah they based do have... on the size of the ship yep would it have its own gravity I mean, yeah, it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be enough that like you could do anything with it, but it it has its own like gravitational attraction. It is big enough. Oh, okay. Uh, like if you if you if you take the moon, yes, and you you like. Here here's a great question: Which do you think is further across, Australia or the moon? The fact that you're asking me makes me doubt my answer, mm -hmm. but I'm going to answer anyway. I think the moon is greater across. And you are wrong. Son of a bitch! Are you serious? Yeah. Shut the, uh, the fuck up. Yeah, I think Australia is like 3,600 kilometers across or something like that, and the moon has a diameter of about 2,400 kilometers. Shut the fuck up! Uh-huh. Yeah, so the moon isn't particularly large, and it does have one-sixth the gravity of Earth. Australia has one-sixth the gravity of Earth if it was its own... I mean, like, okay, I mean, like, if you could, if you could carve out, a, like, a sphere of rock as big across as Australia, it would have more gravity than the moon. But if you just took the landmass that is Australia and removed it and then compacted it into a sphere, it would have significantly less gravity than the moon. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. Yes. <laughs> that blows my mind. Yeah, it's good stuff. So so definitely the ships would have, like, they would be big enough to make their own gravity. But not to the extent that we saw. They're walking no. around with Earth-style gravity. Yep, they've just got artificial gravity inside the ships, and they don't even address it. They no, just say, not. I mean, they just kind of are like, there's mm -hmm. gravity. To the point where, and I know we're going to get to some signs about this, uh, the they airlock, instead of shooting out the side as most airlocks do they are dropped into space yes there's a trap door they are dropped into space and again i know science is coming but i'm gonna say things that i have learned from you neil mm -hmm. not only did they not curl into a ball mm -hmm. and not exhale uh -huh. the voiceover from stephen fry says if you hold a breath full of air into your lungs you can survive in space for 30 seconds neil please take it away okay First of all, you can't have you can't have a trap door. That's just it's not really gonna work. It's not gonna seal properly. And when you open the trap door, they're not so they wouldn't have like dropped out of the ship as if they were falling like through like a trap door in the floor. They would have been forcibly pushed out of the trap door by all of the air in the room collectively trying to get out of the trap door all at the same time. So all of the air in the room should have tried to go through that trapdoor and drag them with it. Uh, so at the very least, we should have seen some, like, a CG effect of air whooshing after them. Or at the very least, we should have seen them, like, accelerating through the, the floor instead of, like... Literally just falling. Literally just falling. Like, they would have been pulled through mm -hmm. before the door had even really finished opening. Um, so that was bad. Um... But it was a, a two-step airlock, which was good. 
in the sense that they got put into the airlock and then another interior door to the ship is closed and then they get dropped out. That's good. That's how you want an airlock to work. The other thing is that, no, you cannot hold your breath in space and live for 30 seconds. You will actually probably die faster if you try to hold your breath in space because all of the air that you have trapped inside your lungs is now going to try to escape your body. And I will tell you with great confidence that none of the... None of the orifices through which air can pass in your body have the capacity or strength to hold that air in your lungs, in your lungs, instead of it escaping forcibly through your nose and mouth and possibly, like, around your eyes. Yeah. Um, If I can't hold my breath in a windy day... No. I'm not going to beat space. Uh Uh-uh. Definitely not. So, you would have all of this lung all of these air rush out of your lungs and then your lungs would spontaneously collapse because they are you know they are expanded and full of air and then all the air gets dragged out and then there's a vacuum that's left behind in your lungs and then the lungs will collapse because they don't have any pressure keeping them open anymore which means they'll, like, tear away from the lining inside of your body. It's a really unpleasant experience. Sure. So you can't hold your breath. Uh, Would you survive in space for 30 seconds? Uh, Yeah. If you had done the right things, you know, curled up into a ball and exhaled all your air and... and Closed your eyes real tight. Closed your eyes real tight. and It would be really unpleasant, but you could do it. Like, you would probably survive for, you know, 30 seconds. It It would be bad. Not pleasant. No, because, like, all of, like... Your skin and your blood, like, they do start to boil, and depending on where you are, there's a there's just a ton of radiation in space, so you'd probably just be cooked. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... Can you describe cooked? Like, you know how microwaves work? Nope. <laughs> I know what they do. Cool. I don't know how they work. Okay. So, <laughs> microwaves work by pumping... Well, it's not radiation. It's not. It is radiation. They are. Sorry. Pretend you're talking to a child. <laughs> okay. Here, I think here's the best way to think about it. Think about like inside your food, there's a whole bunch of like water molecules. Yes. Right. Water molecules are dipolar. Which that means, means two. That means two poles. Excellent. Yes, they're a dipole molecule. Which means that if you put them in an electric field, they will line up according to the direction of that electric field. Okay. And so what microwaves do is they, like, push and pull, like, rotate the, the, like, water molecules in your food so that they heat up. So that builds energy. Yes. Every time it moves like that. Yes. Okay. And so... And that's a form of radiation? Well, yeah, because it's it's creating an electric field to do that. Specifically, it's a it's an electric field in like the microwave range, hmm. which is why it's called a microwave I or a microwave it. oven. Yes. Okay. Also, fun fact for all you people out there who use your microwave: if you want to use your microwave better, cook your food for longer on lower power settings. Why? Because when you are heating up the food. 
if you just let the water molecules uh, rotate back and forth and get really hot, the water will evaporate, one, and two, uh, all the stuff that isn't water won't really heat up that well. Mm -hmm. So it, it will have a bad texture to it because it doesn't get properly heated. So if you use your microwave on a, on a lower power setting for a longer amount of time, the, the water that gains energy from the microwave, like flipping it back and forth, will distribute that heat into the surrounding non-water things, which will help your food heat yeah, more, more evenly, yeah. more gently, okay. and it will preserve the texture of your food a lot better. So if you have ever microwaved something and thought, wow, this is really dry and tough, that's because you microwaved it for on, on too long for too high a power. So generally speaking, knock the time, like push the time up and knock the power way down and you, you will get better results out of your microwave. Well, that's your science tip for the day, folks. Yeah. Oh, fancy that. That's how you use a microwave. I won't lie to you, I forgot how we got there. Uh, we were talking about radiation in space. That's right, because you would cook in space, yes. not freeze. Because in uh, Event Horizon, when What's-His-Face got launched out of the thing, he yes. started to freeze. Yes, that is only kind of accurate. You will also start to freeze. Because it is cold. Because it is very cold, but you will freeze much slower than you will cook. And so, wow. yeah, so you will actually, if you just end up in space with no suit on or anything like that, the order of things is that, like, your body will slowly expel all of its water. Okay. And, and you will be cooked, and then all of, like, the water that couldn't escape will be, like, will escape as your, uh, as you, like, become this cooked, shriveled thing. And then you will just kind of float eternally through space as a sort of freeze-dried, cooked mummy thing. Interesting. Yeah. So going back to the microwave, just kind of using it now as a metaphor. Yes. Is space a microwave set to high or a microwave set to low? Uh, space is a microwave set to infinity, effectively. So too high. So too high, okay. yes. What will happen is that you will... So, so the way that microwaves work is they are very gentle and they will only affect the water in your food. I and mean, tell that to my hot pocket. Look. It's not hot gentle. Pockets. It's, it's a lava pocket. Look. Diarrhea pocket. Continue. Oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please don't sue us, whoever owns. I love you, Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan's content. Please don't. Um, so... So space is full of things that aren't microwaves. They're full of things that are much more energetic than microwaves. And what they will do is they will come in and they will hit, like, your cells and just tear them apart and deposit all kinds of energy. So you will actually be cooked in a much less pleasant way, more like kind of searing food, but from everywhere all at once. Mm. Um, because you are you are being bombarded by all kinds of really, really high-energy radiation. Not like the kind of stuff that you find in a microwave. Microwave radiation is actually, like, um, around infrared mm -hmm. is roughly where that is. So 
So if the if the if you got your visible light spectrum in the middle, if you go past the visible light spectrum going up, you end up in like infrared and microwave and and then you end up sort of in the like shortwave radio and then you end up in radio and then longwave radio. All right? So those are like less I'm assuming radio in this case is not radio. Yeah, it, is, it is. It is oh, radio. Oh, okay. Yes. They yeah, radio is actually like It's almost like everything in the universe is interconnected. Yeah. Uh radio <laughs> is actually a kind of radiation. It is it is specifically a designation for an energy level of radiation. And the reason we use radio waves on Earth to communicate information is because our atmosphere is actually remarkably transparent to like two kind well three kinds of visible or three kinds of light the first kind is uh one kind of ultraviolet it's like uvb or something like that okay. which is why it's really important that you wear sunscreen about to say my sunscreen says uvb protection yes uh the other one there are two other kinds of uh ultraviolet light by the way it's uva and uvc and they are much more harmful than uvb let's say my sunscreen does not mention uvc specifically i think uva is my yeah uva does make it a little bit through the atmosphere and it's still bad news uvb is definitely the stuff that like gives you skin cancer and uvc is the stuff that will kill you so great yeah that stuff so, doesn't make it through the atmosphere though maybe a little bit beyond my sunscreen yeah uh, sunscreen's not going to help you but you should always wear sunscreen all right mm -hmm. Um, and then it's also transparent to the visible light spectrum, which is, I mean, how we see things. So right. like we get the light from the sun, most things on earth have evolved eyes that can process the visible light spectrum. Uh, some of them have, have, uh, evolved eyes that can do more than that, which is neat, but most things use some sort of ocular sensory thing that detects light in the visible light spectrum. Uh, and then the other part is, um, so, so then just after uh, visible light, you'll get like your um, infrared. The atmosphere actually isn't particularly transparent to infrared because a lot of the stuff in the atmosphere can get heated up also by infrared. So it just absorbs it. Then, then you get your radio waves. And the Earth is remarkably transparent to radio waves. And the neat thing is some of those frequencies of radio waves, you can skip off the atmosphere and down back to Earth again. So you can actually transmit radio signals much further by skipping them off the atmosphere and then like to other sides of the planet. Do people do that intentionally? Yeah. That's it's, fucking awesome. It's done intentionally, especially with like AM radio. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, which stands for amplitude modulation, in case you didn't know. I did not know. Uh, which really is... Really thought it meant morning radio. Uh, nope. Great. FM also means frequency modulation. I don't have a quippy joke for that one. It's fair. Yep. Uh, but, so AM radio waves are actually things that you can, like, skip off the atmosphere and, like, send them to other sides of the planet. That's kind of how, like, some people communicate long distance over, like, ham radio waves. That's how? Yeah. It's, oh my god! Like if, if you're like chatting with somebody who's on like the other side of the earth because like with a ham radio, you are skipping your uh, AM radio signal off the um, off the atmosphere and then back down to somebody else on the other side of the planet. That's so cool. We can cut this part out, but have you ever heard of or seen a movie called Frequency? No. Okay. So Dennis, you don't care about the actors. <laughs> um, it's a a sun. 
whose father died uh-huh. 10, 20 years ago, unknown okay. number of years ago. Yeah, yeah. And he, they start communicating via their shortwave radio oh. because of Aurora Borealis, because that's how science oh. works. And then they're talking and they're bonding, and then he saves him from the thing that actually killed him. Is that enough science for me to put it on the list? Because it's one of my favorite movies. We could probably put that on the list. Fuck yeah! Oh, I'm so excited. I'm put it on the list right now. Continue. Okay. Um... Well, anyway, there's just a boat. So all of the stuff that, like, in the in space that you don't get on Earth because our atmosphere protects it from us, protects us from it, as well as uh, Earth's magnetic field will shield us from some of these high energy um, particles, which are also it's interestingly what create aurora borealis. Um, all of that stuff is just floating around in space, and there's nothing to protect you, so you're constantly bombarded by, like, um, like a ton of x-rays that you get from the sun, and also things much more harmful than x-rays with, like, uh, photons in the gamma spectrum. Mm-hmm. So just, like, really high-energy uh, radiation coming in and, and just frying everything inside your body. And have I asked you about gamma radiation and its potential to give people transformative powers and turn them green? I think you might have done that in Great. the past. Then I'm not going to ask you again. But, okay, again, the answer is kind of no, but also maybe. Have you ever heard of atomic gardening? No! So, just after World War II, there was a process that was done with different kinds of foods that they wanted to like get better kinds of foods and the way that you get like the kind of food that you have to like change properties is either to selectively breed those properties but if it has if it doesn't have properties that you think you can selectively breed into or out of it sometimes what you need to do is you need to cause a genetic mutation in the plant in order to either express new kinds of properties or get rid of ones that you don't like. So what they would do for this atomic gardening is they would put a like uh, some kind of uh, radioactive material at the center of like a circle and then they would plant a whole bunch of different kinds of plants around the uh, around this uh, radioactive source and then the plants that grew out of the soil around there would sometimes have beneficial mutations. And you would take the ones that have the beneficial mutations for things that you liked, like different kinds of, uh, we, we, we got all kinds of different flowers out of this. We got new kinds of like potatoes. We got new kinds of like corn and stuff. Uh, and you would take that and then turn it into, you know, go, go breed your new kind of whatever you got. Fuck, yes, yeah. Hulk vegetables? Yes, Hulk vegetables. This is awesome. I feel like I'm learning so much more from this episode, and like I've learned a lot from these episodes. Yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm downloading a lot of information right now. I don't quite know how we got here, but we're I'm sure glad the, that we did. Uh, we're talking about dropping into space and being cooked by oh, a giant yeah. microwave. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you asked about green people. Yeah, but there are there are Hulk vegetables out there. Uh, I will. Yes. I will find the uh, Wikipedia article for this, and I will put have us put notes. it in the show notes, Love it. so that uh, all of our fine listeners out there can go see what kinds of uh, vegetables and flowers that you like that were created through atomic gardening. I'm so 
tickled. You guys can't see my face right now, <laughs> but it's a very tickled face. Oh my god. Alright, well, back to the movie at hand. Where were we? There's gravity in the airlock. They uh, fall into space. They hold the air for 30 seconds. Folks, if you ever get launched into space, like we said earlier, don't do that. You will not win against space. No, you you will have a miserable time. Please yeah. exhale all of your air, air and curl into a ball. And close your eyes. And close your eyes very tightly. Um, and then, I, I might have asked you this and I've already forgotten. Would you cook in 30 seconds? I don't think it'd be 30 seconds, but it's it doesn't take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. You, you you would probably die pretty, pretty quickly. Okay. So if you can avoid it at all, don't expose yourself to the vacuum of space. No. Without, Without a, a spacesuit. Right. The suit is kind of important. Yep. Um, but, as improbable as it may seem, mm. they are rescued by... I don't remember what the ship is called. Do you remember what the ship is called? Uh, it's like the Heart of Gold or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, and this is a ship that um, Sam Rockwell, uh, whose name we still haven't gotten yet, so I'm still going to call him Guy, um, he has stolen... Um, and and they it's it's got what is called an in, improbability drive. Drive. It's called the infinite improbability drive. Thank you. And it now can you you've like you said read this uh-huh. and or watched this more uh-huh. recently. Can you explain just briefly how the improbability drive works in this universe, not in our rules? Yeah. So they they go they have a little like animation for it from the from the Hitchhiker's, from the Hitchhiker's Guide, Guide, which yep. is fun. Uh, and they explain that the improbability drive works by um, taking you through, or taking the ship and the engine, through every single point in space-time in every single universe and or reality, and then pops you out somewhere that you may or may not want to be, or multiple places that you are interested in going, and will not guarantee that you will be the same species or in the same reality when you arrive, but will slowly converge on something. Right, so it it, kind of splits into a multiverse and then converges back into your timeline. Yes. Theoretically. Yes, and it gets you to where you want to go by means of exploring all of the improbable options until it finds one where it's like, oh, we got there. Yep. Um, Yep. Which is a fun thing. It's kind of neat. It's neat. I like it. Right? Um, so, as we're we're introduced to the ship, again, we see Sam Rockwell, Guy. Um, his name is not Guy. Trust me, we're going to get to his real name in a second. Um, and then we see Zoe Deschanel. Uh, uh, Trisha, she's there. She's fine. Everything's fine. She didn't die on Earth. Everything's great. Um, and she says, we picked up some hitchhikers. And he goes, why did you do that? She goes, I didn't do it. The ship did it. The ship, by the way, his name is Eddie, voiced by the phenomenal, incomparable, uh, Thomas Lennon, also, uh, known as Officer Dangle from Reno 911. Wow. And he is delightful. Nice. Oh, he's great. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, so she... She, her name is Trillian now. She changed her name to a more spacey name called Trillian. She sends their robot, whose name is Marvin, um, out to pick them up. Marvin, by the way, voiced by Alan Rickman, is, they say maniacally depressed. He is not maniacally depressed because manic depression has ups 
and downs. And Marvin has no ups. He is only downs. Yes. So Marvin is just straight, normal, depressed. As a, he's a prototype um, personality, which is a great little, great little thing. Just a little icing on the cake, you know? It is. Um, so she sends him out to go get these hitchhikers to bring him to the bridge so they can interrogate them. Um, and then the, the Vogons are, they get their paperwork approved that they can follow these hitchhikers. Um, which the, the bureaucracy is, it's great. So on the ship, Marvin finds, um, Ford and Arthur, brings them to the bridge, and it turns out Ford and, we finally get Sam Rockwell's name, it's Zapfod. Yeah, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Zaphod Beeblebox? Beeblebrox. Beeblebrox. Yep. Never gonna say that name again. That's fine. Zaphod. Yep. Uh, Ford and Zaphod apparently know each other. They're cousins. Uh-huh. They've got three of the same mothers. Yes, they share three I have of the same mothers. So many biological questions. Uh, don't. We need to get a biology person. Call us, biology person, if you, especially if you are a xenobiologist. We could just get your husband up here. Taylor! <laughs> that would be great. Um, so, great. So, uh, right. Trillian is there, and she and Arthur see each other, just like, what, what are you doing here? And everyone's confused. Everyone's kind of jealous. Like, Arthur's jealous of Zaphod. Zaphod's jealous of Arthur. Trillian's kind of confused, like, how the fuck did you get here? Are you following me? You guys, she literally asks, are you following me? Um, in so many words. I don't think she uses those exact words. But she said, did you know I would be here? Which is an odd question to ask on a spaceship out somewhere. We don't even know where we are at this point. Mm, I think we're still vaguely in the vicinity of Earth, but of Where unclear. Earth used to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. The more I'm thinking about this, the more red flags this chick is throwing up, and I don't appreciate it. Um, anyway, so they... Uh, the Vogons show up and they're they're trying to run away because Zaphod has stolen this ship. This is a prototype ship? It is a prototype. It is the only instance of the infinite improbability drive in the universe. And he stole it at its coronation by taking himself hostage yes. and running away with the ship. And we find out a little bit later that he's doing this so he can... Find the ultimate question. Correct. To the ultimate answer. Yes. Which was asked of a supercomputer on a planet far, far away. We'll get there. Great. Uh, if that's confusing, you are correct. So, while we're running away from, um, from the Vogons, who again, they show up, they hyperspace jump, and the Vogons can't follow because they didn't get hyperspace uh, approval. Yep. Which is amazing. So, Zaphod uh, threatens Arthur. He says, you can't tell Trillian about Earth. And he has two heads. In the book, I pictured literally two heads. They are side by side, I believe. In, in the, the book? book? Okay. Because in the movie, uh, Zaphod literally pops his top head back and there's a second head underneath him. Which is an interesting choice. I am slightly confused. It feels a lot like if nearly headless Nick, when he, like, tips his head back, if there was just, like, another head that, like, kind of popped up 
Like a Pez dispenser. Yeah, like a Pez dispenser. Like you, you, you knock the head back on your Pez dispenser and it like pushes out, you know, another Pez. Well, imagine if you like knocked your head back and it pushed out another head. Yeah, and he says the reason he did this is because he had to carve up his brain. Yep. Because you're not allowed to be smart to be president. You're not and allowed to have a full brain to be a, if you're going to be president of the universe. That's the one. Mm-hmm. And then he had parts of his brain that aren't presidential. His second head is a little bit angrier, a little more impulsive. Yep. Um, possibly a little smarter. I don't know. It's it really felt like a uh, a straight shot at politicians. It really did. Yeah, it was good. Um, so Trillian is showing Arthur the kitchen, and I just really enjoyed that as her, well, this is why I'm here, is because, not obviously not just the kitchen, but, like, space is awesome. Some things that she shows them is a, in Star Trek, there is the, um, replicator, yeah. right? Where you just say, Earl Grey, hot, and you get a hot Earl Grey tea. Mm-hmm. In this one, you put your face into a little hole, and it just automatically prints for you or gives you uh, exactly what you want most at that moment, which is kind of cool. She has a tiny lightsaber that as you slice toast, it toasts, or you slice bread, it toasts it automatically, which is phenomenal. Neil, why don't we have this? Because uh, it's a lightsaber. And have we talked about how I feel about them yet? Uh, Probably not. Not enough. But they're, they're definitely the worst thing in sci-fi, I'll tell you that much. Uh, there's, no, there's no containment for this beam of light that comes out of your lightsaber. It shouldn't just end at, you know, in this case it's like a butter knife size, so it's like it tops six to eight inches long. Uh, shouldn't, shouldn't end there. It should just keep going. But it doesn't. Until it hits something, and it doesn't. Uh, also, like... If you're gonna have it be hot enough that it's gonna, uh, that it's gonna be able to cook your bread as it slices through it, then it's it's also gonna be cooking whatever it's running into on the other side of the ship when it keeps going. So, yeah, but it wouldn't be able to like cut through the hull of a ship, right? I mean, a real lightsaber could. Well, yeah, they we've do seen that, that in Star Wars several times. But actually. this is a butter knife. But is it is a butter knife? So maybe. Oh, Unclear. you know what would be nice though is this this tiny lightsaber might actually cool or warm up my butter so I can spread it. It would probably actually boil your butter, and you would dirty. Wow. <laughs> uh, and you wouldn't be able to like you wouldn't be able to like cut and like scoop a, like a pad of butter. Right. Because if you like cut down and like tried to scoop, you would lift the butter up on top of the on top of the knife, mm-hmm. and it would create like. A, um, it creates like a, a little, uh, it's called the, I think it's called the Leidenfrost effect actually, but it creates like a, a, a surface of gas between the like surface of your pad of butter. So almost like when an ice skater goes over ice, it melts just that little bit of water and that's why you are going so smoothly and you're skimming it would do that to butter there's a little yeah barrier. it's it's actually more like if you put a drop of hot water on a really or a drop of water on like a really hot pan you know that drop of water like slides around a bunch right and it's it's got like this it like have you ever seen this happen nope wow oh, all right wait yes okay like next time you get an opportunity, take a like a really hot nonstick pan and just put like a nice 
like a drop of water in the middle of it and watch it like slide the heck around. That's how my mother told me. This is how you know a pan is hot enough to make real cheese. That's Get your correct. Fingers wet and. Yes, that is correct. Uh, also, this this same effect where you like. It is a, it is an effect where you are causing some gas to like form a layer between you and what or or between it and the and the other surface. So you can actually take your hand and dip it into like a vat of like uh, liquid nitrogen or something like that. And your hand is so hot that it will evaporate all of the nitrogen that like comes into contact with your hand and it'll form this like nitrogen barrier of gas between your hand and the liquid so your hand doesn't like immediately freeze. I think I have seen so, a video like that on yeah, YouTube. If you've ever seen somebody do that, they are exploiting what I'm pretty sure is the Leiden frost effect. Uh, I'll, I'll look that up in just a second just yeah. to make sure. Um, but yeah, so th that is that is what would happen if you tried to scoop your butter with a lightsaber. Okay, okay. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Back to it. She explains why space is awesome. She's not going anywhere. She doesn't want to go back to Earth. And Arthur pointedly does not tell her that there is no Earth to go back to. Um, Zaphod then explains why he carved up his brain. Um, it, which I, I don't know. I don't fully understand. But, um... We then see a short video explaining Deep Thought. Deep Thought is this supercomputer that was created to answer the question about life, the universe, and everything. Yes. And Deep Thought, is, it's a great design. It's a huge... I, it is a computer, but it looks like a potentially bipedal creature just sitting with its large head kind of resting on a, an arm with another arm just kind of sitting out. You don't see its feet, but it's got two arms and I, I would assume two legs. But it's a, it's a computer. It does not move. It's in it's on a planet somewhere. I mean, think of like Rodan's The Thinker, yes. but like a large computer. Exactly. Um, and then it's got these two, I will say creatures, but they present as two human children. Mm-hmm. And they say, what's the answer? And Deep Thought, voiced by the brilliant Helen Mirren, Deep Thought says, I don't know. Let me think about it. Come back in seven and a half million years. Mm -hmm. And then they do. They come back in seven and a half million years. The only thing is different is that their hair is white. Yep. Which is kind of cute. And there's a bunch of people on this planet. They're cheering. They've got big, we're number one foam hands. There's, they're ready for the answer. And they got shirts that say, think deep. Yes, <laughs> they do. Um, and it, 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 they're like, all right, Deep Thought, do you have the answer? And she says, yes, but you're not going to like it. And they go, we have to know. What's the answer? And Deep Thought says, 42. Which anyone who has read the book says it, this is a well-known thing. You've probably heard the joke that the life or the answer to life, the universe, and everything is forty-two. That's where this comes from. Is, it is it's a from trope. this book? Yes, it is a trope from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's so it's still funny. It's still good. And they're like, "What? What? Why?" And she goes, "Well, you didn't really ask me a question. Uh, you just you said you wanted the answer. You have to find out the answer." before, or you have to find out the question before I can really explain the answer. And they said, well, what does that take? And she says, well, I will design a supercomputer for you to, to find this question. It'll take 10 million years, and it, and the video cuts off. 
and and they're like, so that's what we're looking for. We Zaphod says that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the question. So we need to find Deep Thought and get the question to mm-hmm. get the answer. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and and Ford and Arthur decide to join them as they look for the supercomputer. And then here's where they give a brief explanation of the improbability drive, which we already touched on. Um, and as they come out of hyperdrive in they're they're looking for a planet uh, called Magrathea. Thank you. They're looking for a planet called Magrathea where deep thought is is. And um, so they're like, all right, I hope we'll hit this button and hopefully we'll end up in Magrathea. And they come out of hyperdrive after hitting the button and they are not at Magrathea, but they are knitted. They are little knitted toys. The whole uh, uh, ship is knitted, and it's stop motion for, you know, 10 seconds, 15 yeah, seconds. it's super fun. It's so cute. And then it, be, it everything converges back into the quote-unquote normal time or timeline. Is that the phrase that we want to go with? Yeah, we'll say reality. Reality, thank you. Everything converges back into normal reality, and they're normal people, and it was just a cute little thing that I really enjoyed. And so they are going to, they, it's not Magrathea. That's very clear. This is a different planet that Zaphod has a score to settle with. And I think this is a good place to end part one of our Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy episode. Um, tune in next week as we find out for, for part two. Next two weeks? Oh my goodness, that's right, because we're on a, a two-week trip now. Trip? Nope. Two-week cycle. Yes. <laughs> and, um, uh, so yeah, tune in in two weeks. We will have part two, and we'll explain, hopefully, life, the universe, and everything. Absolutely. In the meantime, folks, uh, enjoy your science. And don't forget your towel. <laughs>